Welcome to the Healthcare Executive Podcast, providing you with insightful commentary and developments in the world of healthcare leadership. To learn more, visit ACHE.org. And without further ado, your host. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to the Healthcare Executive Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by LifePoint Behavioral Health. Kindred Behavioral Health is now LifePoint Behavioral Health. The specialized partnership expertise you trust from Kindred has been expanded to meet growing patient needs and relieve ED capacity strains. Visit lifepointbehavioralhealth.net to learn more. Okay, our guest today is Jill Case-Worth. She is Senior Vice President and Chief Nurse Executive at Wellstar Health System, where she pioneered a career pathway program that starts as early as middle school to help students earn a Bachelor of Science in Nursing. Now, before that, Jill served as Vice President of Clinical Services and Chief Nursing Officer at ThetaCare, a nonprofit healthcare system in Wisconsin. There, she helped manage the organization's growth and complexity around clinical transformation and care coordination, while continuing to improve patient outcomes throughout and overall operations. Jill earned her Bachelor of Science in Nursing from the University of Wisconsin-Madison and a Master's in Healthcare Administration from Cardinal Stritch University. And she is a member of the American College of Healthcare Executives. Jill, with that being said, welcome to the Healthcare Executive Podcast. Such a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you, Erica. It's a pleasure to be here today. Okay, so so much has happened in healthcare in the past few years, and it seems like while organizations face similar challenges today as they did before the pandemic, um, those challenges and the intensity has definitely increased. Um, healthcare Executive Magazine discussed this with you and other healthcare leaders in a Q&A titled, Leadership for Intense Times, Why Agility and Responsiveness are more important than ever, which appears in the November-December issue. So we're going to ask you to dig a little bit more into that, particularly from the nursing side. And you were quoted in the Q&A saying, and this is great here, the core tenets of leadership remain constant, but the nature of their importance may have been reordered. So can you unpack that for us a bit? Like what are those core tenets and how they, how might they be reprioritized? Absolutely. And thank you. You know, when I think about the core tenets of, of leadership, I think first and foremost about trust and the ability to establish trust as an executive leader in healthcare, someone that inspires commitment from the team that they're actually leading. Courage is really important in leadership, probably more so today than it has been historically as we're facing new challenges that quite honestly, our old playbooks are not prepared to help us solve overall. And being a, a very solid communicator, right? Being able to create a, a language and that inspires individuals to follow, to create a coalition is an important tenant for, for a leader. The two that I think about that have probably changed places, at least for me as a nurse executive leader, are humility and the ability to be a provocateur, as I call it, one who stimulates change with agility and is comfortable in the space of disruption. Because quite honestly, if we faced anything in the last three years, it has been disruption. So the reordering, in my opinion, came during the course of the pandemic, where, where many of us that have led in healthcare for years were thrown into a scenario that we didn't necessarily have all the answers for. We'd never led in that space before, a once in 100 year pandemic. So humility, in my opinion, moved to the forefront, right? You had to be comfortable, comfortable being able to say, I don't know, but together we're going to figure this out. And we're going to do the best that we can with the information that we have available to ourselves. 
And then provocateur. To me, that moves to the forefront. We've all been asked to change lead to lead change management over the course of our careers, but never at the pace that's required to meet today's healthcare challenges that we're facing. Yeah, and, and you did mention disruption there. So being agile, proactive, responsive, key attributes for any leader. And as you mentioned, especially critical in healthcare right now. So with that in mind, what approaches have you used and what do you use today to help you be that sort of leader? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think you have to pull from your requisite experience over the course of of your career. And I'm fortunate uh, to have worked uh, for many incredible employers and in lots of different roles in healthcare, despite the fact that I've been a nurse executive for the, the majority of my career, that agility, proactive, responsive approach I tend to go back today to using that Cotter change model. That really, to me, is somewhat of the holy grail. Although it was 1996 when uh, John Cotter came forward uh, with the Cotter change model, I still think the relevancy of that model today is important where you, you know, there, you need to create or quite honestly, we experienced a sense of urgency. You need to be able to bring a group of people together and build a coalition that is interprofessional and focused to solve the problem or the challenge that's in front of you. You need to be very clear on what it is that you're trying to solve, what your vision is, and how strategically you believe that you need uh, to approach it. I already talked about communication. You can't over-communicate when you're in this particular space. You have to be able as a leader to empower the team to solve the problems. Those closest to the work know the answers, right? So my job becomes different, right? My job is much more about how do I resource this agile team? How do I remove barriers and really stand as an executive sponsor uh, for them? Celebrating those quick wins, right? Making sure that you can put quick tests of change in place and try to see if, in fact, your strategic uh, view is um, really going to get you to where you, you want that to be. And then you've got this whole cycle of sustainment, right? You have to be able to look at what the change is, what, what you're dealing with, and ask yourselves, are, is, is it grounded in our culture now? Are we going to see that we're going to be able to um, sustain this so we could move on to the next opportunity? And what measurement do we have in place to monitor those results over time? So if we're drifting, we can use that muscle memory to pull it back. Well said, and we're going to talk about data in a minute, but just a reminder for our listeners that this episode is brought to you by LifePoint Behavioral Health. Kindred Behavioral Health is now LifePoint Behavioral Health. The specialized partnership expertise you trust from Kindred has been expanded to meet growing patient needs and relieve ED capacity strains. Visit lifepointbehavioralhealth.net to learn more. Okay, you were just talking about data. Um, let's talk about taking data analytics and acting on what you're learning from them. So you said that's been critical, of course, during the pandemic, but talk a little bit about what that looks like for you today. Yeah, I... Um... You know, just even this morning, I was in a meeting and uh, I would tell you that at the executive table, we looked at a lot of data. There isn't any one of us that hasn't been called to create dashboards so that we take um, uh, what we know either in clinical practice or about our business and our industry. And we have an abundance of data as healthcare leaders. Most of us were trained as scientists, right? And so we have a nature about being a scientist of the need to study. 
But where our industry tends to be a little bit weak and lag other industries is the notion of turning that data into insights so that then it can be the input into change management strategy and actually the, the, the change process overall. I really think the future of leadership is dependent on a leader being able to get to that analytics, gain consensus on what those insights are, and very rapidly take action in uh, the form of countermeasures or key strategic initiatives that we believe is gonna take us from where we are to the future state that we're trying um, to get to. The other thing we have to get a little bit more comfortable with, and we practice this in COVID, and one of the things that I think we're all challenged with, with is we wanna go back to 2019. And 2019 is gone. It's never coming back. And in fact, we learned a lot of things during COVID about leading differently that we shouldn't let go of, right? One of them is the ability to make decisions with imperfect information, right? To have good information and have a solid team and, and, and build that consensus and then very quickly, you know, create changes and processes with the adequate monitors that I talked about before that allows us for that quick study and adjust. We just have to get more comfortable in that space. You know, we always think about um, the importance of human life and you and, a, and the smallest error, right, can create harm. In our business practices, we got to get a little bit more familiar with failure because oftentimes that's where we learn the most is when we allow ourselves to fail. And that doesn't come naturally to us as healthcare executives. We take a lot of pride in getting it right and getting it right out of the gate versus getting it good and perfecting it over time. Hmm. You know, one of the things that intensified during the pandemic, uh, a lot of things did. One in particular was workforce supply concern. So at Wellstar, you launched efforts focused on building a pipeline of new nursing talent, both through the academic partnerships you have and through a program that engages younger students about nursing. So can you detail some of that for us? Absolutely. You know, um, as a nurse uh, executive leader, I always have to remind myself and my colleagues that we had a national shortage of nurses before the pandemic. And uh, all of us were working to try to mitigate that situation. But what happened during the pandemic is, is it further exacerbated that uh, workforce shortage and mo really moved it, in my opinion, to a national crisis um, that we're in. And when you're in a crisis, you have to respond differently than you can when you can implement uh, incremental change to solve a problem versus um, a true dilemma that we're facing. I said it earlier, and it's true, all of the uh, playbooks that we used before are no longer relevant to the current situation. Everything that we saw in the media about the great resignation and the great reflection has happened in healthcare, as it's happened in every other industry overall. And so we really had to have to think about, you know, I think three core tenets of, of workforce, relationship development, pipeline design, and career development overall. We were fortunate in that we had started with relationship development years ago. We had longstanding relationships with universities like uh, Kennesaw State University, Mercer University, Technical Colleges of Georgia, uh, related to some of our technical support programs for LPNs and, and techs that support the nursing profession, and then more, re more recent relationships with uh, respiratory therapy schools because the importance of the RT role became critical during the pandemic. So really thinking about how do you create relationships with academic partners from middle school 
through every area of credential and educational preparation and understanding who those, who those important partners are in the markets that you have uh, business and facilities and clinical care uh, models overall is, is essential. What we were focused on you know, pre-COVID was increasing enrollments, which is still a national issue for nursing. Most schools of nursing across the country turn away up to 80% of applicants that meet the criteria because they have limitations in terms of their ability to increase enrollment related to faculty, lab space, clinical, clinical site placements overall, and then the requisite dollars to transcend the technology that's required in order to prepare students. And that's where the partnership can come in between a, a private partner like a health system and an academic partnership. I have staff that have master's degrees and doctorate degrees that would love to build their CVs out and be adjunct or clinical faculty for a, a partner. I also have practice environments so it's a matter of me being able to say, we're going to open up clinical rotations much broader. And it's not going to be Monday through Friday, you know, 7A to 3P. It's going to be 24-7 so that the students get the full experience of what it's like to work in, in healthcare. So relationships are important. Then the pipeline piece of it is, is beyond those academic partnerships and taking advantage of the relationship with the clinicians in education, you have to go down to middle schools. You have to begin to influence young minds and hearts through STEM education and really provide the opportunity for them to think about all of the roles that they could have with a career in healthcare. Obviously, I want them to be nurses and I want them to support nurses. But as you and I know, there are lots of on-ramps um, on and off-ramps in healthcare, as well as uh, progression opportunities overall. So we started in middle school with career exploration, some immersion programs. This summer we ran, we had over nearly 300 students that came to camp. And the camp was really an immersion experience for them to understand what does a nurse do? What does a tech do? What does it look like to work in an operating room? Air medicine, e ED, all of the different requisites that were there. And those were just so important. Then what you need to do is to be thinking about how your technical colleges can work with your high schools to create dual enrollment opportunities. So those students can start getting college level prerequisite credits in high school. I truly believe that in high school, and this is what we're doing in Georgia, we're really focused on the credential of a certified nursing assistant. It's, it's really the entry level credential and it provides a very good window into what healthcare looks like overall. So we have CNA programs in our high schools. We now actually hire those CNAs into our health system. We have over 60 that are employed across um, uh, our um, service area. And that gives them that first credential that then can leverage them to think about, I wanna be a nurse. Maybe I wanna be a surgery, surge tech. Maybe I wanna go on to pre-med, um, but it gives them a credential to start. And it also provided us a workforce that is so desperately needed to support nursing uh, today. So I, I would suggest that when you think about the pipelines, you, you think about where students begin to make those decisions and the parents are really important. There isn't a parent that doesn't want something better for their child than they had for themselves. And being very thoughtful that we have these programs 
in very diverse communities so that we have a diverse student population that becomes a diverse workforce over time and is the face of the community in which we serve overall. And then the last point I would make would be career development. So I might start as a nursing assistant at Wellstar, but I want to know that you're going to continue to invest in me and that I'm going to get some advanced skills and that then there's going to be some navigation towards maybe I'm interested in becoming a GI tech and I can go on and take those courses and continue my development, or I can use tuition reimbursement and go back and start my LPN. And then the flexibility of the work environment to support that whole individual, not just with dollars, but with flexible schedules um, that might need to change from semester to semester, and then more uh, shadowing experiences overall. I'm glad you mentioned that because we spent a lot of this podcast talking about, you know, what established leaders need to do. Then we started talking about your pipeline and going and establishing our future leaders. Now, how about those developing those leaders inside your organization? You were just talking about how do we identify who they are? How do we help uh, nurses and really all areas of healthcare grow and advance in their careers? Maybe you can compare it a little bit to your own journey. Yeah, you know, um, I hate to say it, but you know, the pandemic kind of caused pause for most of us because it was an all hands on deck scenario. So although we we had uh, intention and additional strategies to put in place about leadership development, we really had everybody working on the front line. You know, I'm, I'm excited to say that over the course of the not, last nine months, we've been able not only to reestablish existing programs, but to think differently about what else we need to do. We've been very focused on succession planning, which is maybe an old term that now they talk about talent planning and talent development, really understanding what an individual's hopes and dreams are, and then creating an individual development plan for that person. So the the role in leadership are not traditional anymore. You know, nursing doesn't necessarily go from a charge nurse to a CNO of a hospital anymore. We have nurses that are hospital presidents. We have nurses that are CFOs. We have nurses that are COOs. And we have nurses that are leading large medical practices. So we have to be very thoughtful in terms of how do we open up the full landscape of of what might be possible and look at the core competencies of of that leadership role and then help that individual advance um, along uh, along the way. When I talk with individuals and I mentor a lot of of emerging leaders, I use three tenets. I start off by reminding everyone of of kind of my life lesson and that is, is that relationships matter. Relationships matter in your personal life, and they matter in your professional life. So never step away from understanding the importance of that relationship, be it with a peer, be it with a one-up, be it across the system, be it outside of your organization with the associations and the the colleagues that you meet along the way. Because healthcare is a small world. You'd be surprised how many of us know each other, have worked with each other, and somebody might open that door for you. The second is, is that don't limit your career progression to those traditional pathways. Really be thinking, I wouldn't be here today as, you know, a chief nurse executive um, of a large integrated health system if I hadn't taken some non-traditional pathways, if I hadn't accepted sometimes a lateral move to demonstrate that my leadership wasn't driven off of my clinical expertise, but off of who I was as a leader and the accomplishments and the outcomes that I was able to, to, to give. Taking that risk, being courageous about changing completely to a different area of the continuum, working in home health or post-acute when in fact you thought your whole life you'd never leave acute care, right? Because healthcare is changing dramatically and we know where the growth is. 
It's going to not going to be in the hospitals. It's going to be in the ambulatory and the virtual health spaces moving forward. And then the third thing is quite simply, when somebody opens a door for you, that's a surprise. It's because they saw something in you that you can't see in yourself and find a way to say yes. If I hadn't taken advantage of those opportunities or opened doors for others, they would never have had as challenging and fulfilling of a career as as they've had or as I've had the good fortune to have over time. Everybody's watching you, right? And everybody's pulling for you because they know the system and the industry is going to be stronger as we have strong emerging leaders. So listen to that voice, understand the why behind it and go ahead and say yes. Uh, Jill, one last question. When we do have ACHE members on the podcast, we always ask how the organization has impacted you know, your own journey. So how has ACHE helped you along your career? You know, it's played a significant role uh, for me, especially in, I would say, the last decade. I think it's very common for those of us that um, have been trained in a particular area of a profession to align ourselves with the professional associations of that. So in my case, as a nurse and a nurse executive, being very active in the ANA, being a part of the American Organization of Nurse Leaders, right? Um, I'm fortunate enough to be in the American Academy of Nursing, now being very active on their councils and their committees. But what ASHI um, to me brings is it's a convener in an interprofessional way. And so it provides a very unique opportunity that represents our industry as a whole and really increase my knowledge, my network. It served as this really important convener that not, I I can't think of another agency out there that's brought that to me in my career or I've seen uh, with others. And because of that, it's a non-competitive environment, right? We so uh, willingly share information and knowledge and still shamelessly, right, from one another because we can. And so it's just brought, you know, such value to me particularly as an executive in in nursing, but more so as an executive in this industry of healthcare that I just love. Jill Caseworth is Senior Vice President, Chief Nurse Executive at Wellstar Health System. Jill, what a great conversation. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking with you today. Thank you, Eric. ACHE members, uh, remember, you can read more about this topic in the November-December issue of the Healthcare Executive Magazine and the feature story, Leadership for Intense Times, Why Agility and Responsiveness are More Important Than Ever. And one more word of thanks for LifePoint Behavioral Health. Kindred Behavioral Health is now LifePoint Behavioral Health. The specialized partnership expertise you trust from Kindred has been expanded to meet growing patient needs and relieve ED capacity strains. Visit LifePointBehavioralHealth.net to learn more. Thank you so much for listening today, and we'll catch you next time right here on the Healthcare Executive Podcast from ACHE. This has been the Healthcare Executive Podcast, brought to you by the American College of Healthcare Executives. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider rating and reviewing on iTunes or your podcasting app of choice. And for more information, find us online at ache.org.